It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Abergan. This was a busy year in which I uh, learned a lot about a lot of new things, as we all did. But one thing I'm really glad I discovered this year was the work of Adam Conover, who hosts what is now one of my favorite shows, Adam Ruins Everything on True TV. It's basically an explainer show, but explainers are really tricky to pull off well. It's a challenge that we have here at 538. And Adam's show takes on things like prisons, the TSA, charities, disposable wipes, all sorts of things, and explains them with humor and charm and really great production value. He's also a 538 fan, which is nice to hear. So we sat down recently to talk about the work of explaining complicated topics. Here we go. Take a listen. Adam Conover is the host of one of my favorite shows, Adam Ruins Everything, oh, on Tree TV. Welcome to 538. Welcome to What's the Point? Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jody. I'm uh, such a, I'm, I'm so, it's such a thrill to be in the 538. <laughs> it is a thrill. I've been reading the site for years, you know, going all the way back to, I think, Nate's original site, like uh-huh. pre-New York Times and everything. And, and uh, you know, so, it's, yeah, it's very, uh, it's like, ooh, I got a little tingle walking in here. I and took a selfie with the logo. <laughs> you did. And, and all the, like algorithms on the whiteboards that are drawn on the wall in Nate's office and stuff that is not just for show that is actually yeah. how this place operates Did, not was me he, was uh, he dry, I, I, when we were we were far away from his office it looked like a whiteboard but then when we got close I was like is he just drawing in crayon on the paint like <laughs> late, he... late at night you know when there's, if there's no if there's no whiteboard around I think we have those whiteboard walls where you can erase stuff but, oh god but okay. I, I think we'll okay. see, we'll like, see when we try and... right on the wall get, get the man a chalkboard or something it looks like uh, a beautiful mind in here Exactly. Um, it feels that way sometimes. Um, so look, uh, I've talked to a number of journalists on the show, and I, actually maybe we can talk about whether you consider yourself a journalist. Or I don't, but, uh, but I'm but yeah. happy to expand on that. Yeah, but um, I've talked to a number of people who are doing journalism or doing this kind of work, um, and there's always this question about how you tackle difficult topics, make them accessible. Mm-hmm. And one thing about your show is that it's not like you occasionally tackle a tough topic. Like tough topic is – is the beat right? Yes. You kind of don't don't do something unless it's really tough. Yes. So, well, and we pride ourselves on our ability to make dry topics uh, yeah. accessible, and it's a struggle. You know, yeah. like we did um, an episode on voting for our, our in our first year, um, where we explain how the electoral college weights some votes more than others because of the population of the states, and we explain how gerrymandering works mm. and how you know really the process by which. You know, given the same number of voters in a state, if you can redraw the lines arbitrarily, you can decide how many, you know, you're going to have three red districts or two blue districts, or you're going to have five blue districts, or you're going to have five red districts, depending on how you draw circles around those voters, you know. And so those are, yeah, those are exceptionally dry topics um, that I think maybe even we got the idea for how to break that down from a 538 piece that was saying, you know, here's how gerrymandering works. And it did it through charts, you know? Yeah. And we were like, okay, let's take this concept. And, um, uh, and I think we cite the original piece. Um, uh, and then, but let's make it funny. Right. And I remember writing that with my, uh, uh, my writer now head writer, uh, Travis Helwig. And we were like, this is so dry. I was like, all right, well, we just have to make it funny because this is what we're, this is what we're explaining, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, kind of the project of the show is to take the work of uh, journalists, that's why I don't consider myself mm-hmm. a journalist, um, to take the work of journalists, scholars, academicians, uh, you know, philosophers, scientists, and um, make it as accessible as possible. You know, my, my theory is that 
everyone genuinely loves to learn. You know, um, people sometimes say, oh, you're, you're, you know, making the medicine go down with a spoonful of sugar. I don't think we necessarily are because I don't think it is medicine. People love to learn, right? Um, it's a fundamental human desire that's, that's like eating or breathing. Um, but uh, not everyone has the time or the energy, you know, to go home and, you know, I mean, hey, now I'm working, when I'm working on the show, I'm working 12, 14 hour days. Do I go home and watch a front line? No. <laughs> you know, I go home and I watch, uh, you know, uh, uh, a half hour comedy or something light, you know? And so uh, the purpose of the show is to take that information out of the front line, out of the New Yorker piece, and um, put it into a comedy show so people can digest it easily and then give them the resources to go and learn more about it on their own if they want. One thing that also feels critical to the show and is also, I think, to some extent, similar to the kind of work we try and do here at 538 is that there also needs to be some like wrong conventional wisdom to mm -hmm. cut against. Yes. Right. And I guess that's where the ruins everything comes yep. from. Yep. Um, you couldn't take something completely obscure that no one really has an opinion about and just explain <laughs> that. You want to find stuff that there's some misconceptions about. Yeah. Well, I, it, it does seem like uh, when you're informing people about these topics that I, I like the idea that it of a misconception that it like rubs against or that you get some friction on because it it sort of helps it catch in people's minds you know yeah. um, and sort of like find purchase you know so um, and I and I found that just by you know I've just been the sort of person throughout my whole life where you know I read New Yorker articles I listen to podcasts you know and I found that the ones that really made me perk up were the ones where it, where it contradicted something that I that I believed already, you know, where that's what makes you feel like, oh, I see the world in a different way. Uh, but it doesn't always have to be like a myth, you know, that's sort of the superficial version of the show is like, okay, we're, we're uh, you know, breaking misconceptions or mm -hmm. myths. It can, just, it can just be something that like violates a fundamental value that we have, you know. So we did one, um, we, we had an immigration episode, mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, Act 1 was about how the wall wouldn't work. Even if you want to reduce illegal immigration, the wall wouldn't work, right? Um, which is like a fun that, – that is a little bit of a misconception busting. OK, we have this idea the wall would work. It wouldn't. You know, Our final act is about the uh, immigration court system in the U.S. and what a sorry state that it's in that you know, it's um, uh, incredibly over, you know, overburdened. So you have judges who are trying cases in like, minuscule amounts of times. You have like group, you know, group trials, group deportations, you know, and so crazy mistakes happen constantly in this system. Mm -hmm. Now that to me – now there's no misconception there. No one has had a conception about, you know, oh, immigration courts are great, but what it does violate the misconception of, uh, it does violate our value that that America is going to treat people fairly and that, uh, you know, American citizens wouldn't be deported by their own country, right? right. I mean, what, 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 what worse mistake could a country make than accidentally deporting one of the citizens of the country, the entire group that the country is supposed to be protecting, you know? Right. And it does, and it does violate, or it does cut against the tidy notion that that there's a simple fix that a politician can just yes. offer a simple solution and say, oh, yeah, we'll just take care of it. And yep. that the only reason it hasn't been taken care of is because no one has thought to just do X or do yep. Y before, which, yep. of course, I mean, so often you land and I think the best journalism of this type lands on like, oh, it's complicated and it's hard and there is no simple solution and we're just yep. going to have to live with that. Yep. Yep. And that is sort of one of the one of the final morals of the show, you know, that um, – uh, we often will end up in a place where, you know, a lot of times the, the end of the show, 
um, has a call to action that mm-hmm. is uh, that is very tidy. You know, we do. Um, you know, uh, we did an episode on in-kind giving versus cash giving where, you know, like a canned food drive isn't a great idea because you're burdening your food pantry with all the costs of, you know, m- maintaining and uh, carting these cans out and sorting them. Just give them 10 bucks. And, hey, yeah. that's easier for you too, I right? Mean, I've, I've worked um, – I've done volunteer work uh, and crisis response work where, you know, you're sitting there and people are sending like – hundreds and hundreds of teddy bears and yes. it's like you then end up i mean look i understand where that impulse comes from yes uh but you know you end up spending so much of your time like literally i've spent days like moving boxes of teddy bears <laughs> around a warehouse yeah whereas like if you had just given us the 10 bucks you know the yeah exactly know how to spend i mean money. We, yes. i bet some of these places literally have to pay to have the teddy bears yeah. carted away yeah. right and, and and disposed of so so that that has a nice simple call to action where it's like hey guess what I, you know, we, we busted your misconception, which is temporarily, uh, uh, you know, feels bad. But now at the end, we show you right. how you can do the thing that you want to do a much simpler, easier way. And so that feels really good, right? How important is that? That you're not just ruining. Oh, it's very, it's very important. Some... It's very important. It's the whole ethos of the show is that um, uh, my belief is that it's there's no virtue to ignorance and that it's always better to learn more and that at first it might be temporarily uncomfortable. And so you have the comedy, fr- you know, frisson of the character, the other character going, oh, no, it, this feels bad. You know, the other character I'm talking to on the show, like, why you got to ruin my nice canned food drive? It's I was having such fun, you know, and then and at the end I say, well, if you really want to help people, guess what? You can do it even easier if you do it this way. So now you're you're better off knowing more right but it, it's equally there are equally episodes where we end up in a place of uh of complication and nuance and no easy solutions and in that case we still sort of play it for comedy in that it's what i call a funny bummer right <laughs> that like that like guess what there is no easy solution sorry you're fucked you know right and we play that a little bit for comedy but that is the you know that is the way the world is most of the time the yeah. world is usually complex and and messy and um uh, that's a hard truth that I want the audience to have to live with at times. How do you walk the line between the sort of tidy conclusions mm-hmm. at the end and, and offering new solutions, but then also being responsible to the fact that stuff is is complicated? Do you ever worry that you're creating new conventional wisdom ah that's a really good question um and it's quite possible right um like for instance the idea that every this is really weird the idea that everything you know about something is wrong is itself a very seductive idea that can lead you to error right so people want me to do often the exact same process that we've done with other topics to topic A, B, or C. You know, they want to show, okay, show me how mm. this is all caused by a big corporation or show me how this thing that I think is good that I'm helping is not good, you know, et cetera. Um, and we want to do that in the writer's room because it's easier to write those topics. Hey, we know how to do it. It's the formula, you know. Let's find what's the De Beers Diamond Cartel for this topic. What's the canned food for that topic, you know. And so we have to be very vigilant about not doing that by accident, you know. Um, and so our tactic, if we run up against, you know, well, there's this solution, there's this way of telling the story, but it's maybe not 100% true. It's like a good way to look at it, but it's a little bit more complicated, is we just try to fold the complication right into the story, you know. 
you know, we did an episode about uh, trophy hunting. Uh, and about how, you know, everyone says, oh, Cecil the Lion, oh, trophy hunting's terrible, let's ban trophy hunting, you know. But there's a lot of countries which are using trophy hunting as a strategy to help sustain their wildlife populations, where they sell a license to, you know, a couple hunters a year for, like, close to a million dollars. They can go kill one black rhino, and they say, oh, go go kill this one rhino. He's past breeding age. He's been killing other rhinos, and you can go kill him, and, and that's actually going to help us manage the wildlife. And then we're going to use that money to, uh, you know, create preserves and things like that. Now, there are a lot of conservationists who who will tell you that this is terrific and this is a great strategy. Um, And there's a lot of people from those countries who would say, don't ban what, you know, don't ban trophy hunting. You know, hey, uh, you know, hey, you dumb Americans, you don't really know that like we're uh, that that in our country, this is a good thing. Right now, at the same time, that answer gives us a lot of like moral ethical pause, you know, Um, it's not a tidy answer. It feels bad as an answer. And, And it's not the case that it works for every single country across that it's a, it's not a panacea yeah, yeah. by any means right and so we include all that information in there you know and we have the you know the character i'm talking to say you know what i have a real hard time with this like i i why is this the case that you know i love animals like can't there be a way to save animals that doesn't require us to shoot and kill animals and my character says you know the version of of myself i play on the show says um yeah i know it feels bad you know but the fact remains that in a few countries this is being used to good effect to the best of our knowledge and so we shouldn't jump to conclusions about the efficacy of trophy hunting and um because we did it that way that 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 you know segment had the most talk in our writers room because even the writer writing it was like I'm not sure how I feel about yeah. this argument you know and we were very worried about you know we're always very worried about the audience response and we want to make sure you know that we we don't want to give up easy errors so that people can write what Adam ruins everything gets wrong about XYZ. Obviously, those things are going to happen. We're going to get stuff wrong. But we want to we, – we, we really try to be our own ombudsman and make sure that we do it really well. Um, and so our strategy there was like, OK, let's just fold all of the concerns into the narrative um, and into the argument. And that worked really well. It turned out to be one of the best-received segments that we did this year because I think people appreciated that that nuanced view. Yeah. I mean I think about this – struggle a lot and I th- with like I think you kind of live in this world but you know the the, the Malcolm Gladwells the Charles yeah. Duhigs yes. the Freakonomics world of they're so successful that they end up potentially coming out with its own tidy conventional wisdom but Absolutely. then you know, if you actually dive in you know I respect all of those people a lot because when you read the work and you you know engage with it and it's they do live in complexity and are okay and they yes. test all those theories well the thing I realized about about you know uh, Gladwell is like uh, you know and I and I like his work as well and it's it's a little bit of like uh, it's not a love-hate relationship but it, yeah. it, but you know there's a um, there's a degree to which I recognized as reading him, this is, you know, five, five or six years ago, and I was like, oh, this is so great and it's so compelling, you know? And I realized, like, wait a second. He's, he is – the thing that he's good at, right, as a writer is separate from whether or not the thing he's saying is true. Yes. He's very good at making the point exceedingly compelling, you know, but you still need to think – critically about it you know yeah and well that, we can fall in the same you need to be wired right when you have that thought this is a little too seductive that's the moment where you have to catch yourself yes. and say and be trained to be like yeah and there are moments i mean with 
we don't have to talk too much about Malcolm Gladwell, but there are moments where it feels like it, when when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? When yes. you're a debunker, everything yes. looks like something you can take your tidy. F- and Gladwell occasionally is like, oh, I can be Gladwellian about anything and just go and point at that and like, <laughs> yes. I'm going to, you know, but yes. mostly I think you know, and, he's a and, good thinker and a good writer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I like the podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, especially he's almost also like the uh, – uh, like the Starbucks of it in that, yes. you know, how you, how Starbucks like, like educated Americans about coffee. Right. Um, and so now people opened the way for other coffee shops to sell lattes. Right. And so Gladwell is like, a, you know, he, he sort of like blazed the trail in a lot of ways to, um, uh, to that kind of thinking. And, and a lot of my love of that kind of thinking is sort of, that's part of what led to this mm-hmm. show. You know what I mean? We'll be back in a minute with Adam Conover, but first a word from this week's sponsors. What's the Point is brought to you by Simply Safe. This holiday season, check home security off your to-do list. Protect your home with our friends at Simply Safe Home Security. And now is the perfect time because Simply Safe is having its biggest holiday sale ever. Right now you can take a whopping $200 off Simply Safe's special holiday security package. The award-winning alarm system has everything you need to protect your home. An arsenal of 17 security sensors to secure each door and window and a wireless connection to authorities and police dispatch so your family, home, and everything in it stays safe around the clock. Plus, there's no long-term contract, no installation costs, and no hidden fees. Check it out right now. Get $200 off at simplysafewtp.com. That's simplysafewtp for what's the point, dot com. What's the Point is also brought to you by Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best ingredients from their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. And it's easy. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash point. That's blueapron.com slash point. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, back to the show. And so this is what I want to talk about, which is the production of the show, because it's just an amazing visual production element and it just it i i watch the show and i and i love it as uh an information source but i Mm -hmm. also just like marvel at it as a production Mm -hmm. and so i'm curious how it all comes together your show has to be the only one with footnotes uh, (laughs) that that pop up on the screen yeah we we invented that yeah yeah. so are you like gathering little bits and then thinking okay how would these feel like they're coming together or are you like writing big story arcs and then filling in we do it from both ends at once um we, uh, you know, we try to start as much as possible from story pitches for, you know, our show is three acts and then a conclusion that draws as many of them together as possible. Sometimes you can watch and be like, oh, wait, act four only really tied together act two and three and they forgot about the first one. Um, but uh, 
you know, and then we and then we try to, you know, uh, put them together on a theme. But there are times where we have something larger that we want to say and then we try to find stories that fit it a little bit. It's a little bit hard, you know, so we sort yeah. of try to come at it from both writing angles. writing the jokes as you go or is it like let's get the – I know you don't like the medicine a- analogy, but like yeah. let's get that stuff set first and then glom jokes on top. We, so. do, we, we do it the way that you just said where we uh, – medicine is fine <laughs> as an analogy. But um, uh, yeah, we start from what's the, what's the story, what's the idea, what's the point that we're making and then we figure out how to tell that in a in a comedic way um and uh you know a lot of the time there is some stuff we have to get in early argument wise because it'll be like um you know sometimes like our like our our metaphor for how we're telling how we're walking through the idea will shape a lot of what the precise contour of the argument is and then afterwards yeah we're doing we're adding jokes and we're doing punch up and stuff like that and um you know we're saying uh you know, okay, wait, we, we, this idea here is said, we say the statistic, but we need to add a, whoa, that's crazy. That's like if you, and then we do that kind of comedy math, or we need a character to come on and demonstrate this, or we need to find a thing in the environment that we can turn into a bar graph, you know? Um, which is a luxury you have that, say, like a John Oliver doesn't, which mm-hmm. is you're operating in 3D space and you yes. can act stuff out and bring different character actors yes. in and, and swing the camera around and, switch, yep. you know, all that stuff. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's a huge advantage. It also means our show takes... Uh, roughly four times longer per episode to produce than John Oliver sure. does. You know, so they write those in a week, or you, they probably have a bit of There's more no of a lead time. The yeah, exactly. Is sit at a desk right there, right? <laughs> and and I don't know if they write them in a week. They probably get some lead time yeah. and, and you know, et cetera. But you know, then they shoot it in a day, and then it's out the same day. You know, yeah. our show is about uh, seven to eight weeks of writing per episode. Of course, they're all going on at once, but. Um, and then four 12 hour shooting days and then, you know, a good month of editing. So, and that's to, that's to do one episode and that's because it's shot like an extremely complex single camera sitcom or like a film. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's a, so it's extremely, uh, it's extremely effortful (laughs) of a show to make, uh, uh, you know, and so sometimes I dream about, about being in a, being in a studio where I just show up nine to five and then Friday is shoot day or whatever. But, um, but yeah, it affords us the ability to, to do all those things and to show it very, to show it exceptionally visually. Um, you mentioned the visual bar graph turning a prop into a bar bar graph. Do you think about that particular element, like data journalism, uh, like showing stats, like how do you force yourself to get stay creative on that? It's something we struggle with a lot here too. Well, it's a good question. I mean, um, sometimes it literally is we do the cheap version where we say up to sixty percent of da 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 is yada yada, and then we and then it's like literally. Um, you know, there, I'm just thinking of a climate change episode we have mm-hmm. coming out for our season finale, and I say, you know, the number, the amount of trash doubled, and then we have a trash can, and like a column of trash rises out of it to demonstrate doubling. You know, and so that's just like, all right, I'm saying a number, and we need to put something spicy here, and we need to make it fun, so we just straight up do that. You know, um, but there's other times in which the um, the ones that I really like are when the the visual itself makes the point in a really compelling way, right? So the the gerrymandering example that mm-hmm. that I told you about, I'm almost positive we took this from a 538 piece, and and um, uh, you know hopefully it's it's you know hey you can't copyright facts. So I think it follows <laughs> look, it falls in that. Well, but gerrymandering we has all has been like the white whale of explainer. Like someone yes. has always wanted to 
how do we tell this in a compelling <laughs> way? Yeah. And so you're trying, we're trying, everyone's yeah. trying. Yeah, and I'm proud that I that a lot of people, you know, I, I think got it. Um, but the thing that I think we took from the piece yeah. was that it was like the sort of grid of like 16 by 16 little voters, right? Yeah. And it showed how, in an abstract way, if you draw the lines around each one, you can segment it into these areas where it's ne- – well, in this way I have – three out of two, you know, whatever. Um, And then in this one, I can make them all red if I do it this way, you know. And so it just dramatized like, oh, this is the process in a simplified way. And you look at the visual and you get it in a way that no number of words are going to and sort of like stuck in your mind that way. My my goal is to always have our arguments be as much as possible. This is, it's weirdly violent, but I think about it like like the tip of a sharpened spear, Uh you know, and I wanted to just go into people's brains and lodge there and for them to be unable to get it out in a way. You mentioned earlier that um, there's the you on the show and the you in the in yeah. real life, and um, I wonder. Well, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think the difference is between those two, but also just like, do you worry, or how much do you feel like you don't want to come off as a know-it-all? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, to some extent, that's the premise of the show. Yes, but I also suspect that the show's never condescending and and every anytime you find yourself in that territory it's really dicey and that's yeah. kind of undercuts your your goals so like how do you balance that with like i'm here to tell you a lot something you don't know i'm here to kind of break it all down but i never want to do it in a way that feels patronizing sure well the um the, the difference between me and the character is that the character is you know more self-deprecating uh than i am and <laughs> uh more more socially awkward it's based on an image of myself that i have and had especially when I was younger, you know, it's like sort of like me at 21, right? right? Unable to really interact with people that well, always feeling very socially awkward, uh, uh, you know, feeling like I would, you know, tell people, I'd be excited to tell people things and then they'd, they'd you know, sort of be like, ah, get out of here. Like, we're just trying to have a good time. But, you know, the thing that I, the, the, the fundamental thing that I do on the show where I interrupt people and I, and I tell them something that, that they didn't want to know and they say, oh God, go away, right? Yeah. That is, was, li- used to literally happen to me in my life, you know, so it's very nice to transform that into a thing where now I get praise for but doing you say that thing. comes from a place of awkwardness not a place of i'm smarter than you uh well no the the it resulted in a feeling of awkwardness you know um but and also by the way it's a character because the person on the show is single and i you know have a have a partner of many years and etc it's you know it's um uh, you, you know, it's it's like fictional. You know, it's it's sure. a fictionalized version of myself. Um, but the fundamental, you know, uh, desire and process of of like you know being curious and, and enlightening people and telling people things is like something that I that you know I'm personally there with the character. Right? So it's 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 a thin. I compare it to like Larry David on Curb versus in real life. Like you're you yeah. watch Curb and you're like he's he's not literally like that, but it's a lot like him. You know. But then in terms of being uh, not being uh, condescending, I mean, first of all, it it is inherent in the comedy relationship between. Between Adam and the Mark character, which is the character I'm talking to, because we're constantly doing in comedy, uh, no one really calls it this, but like a status switch where I'm high status, then I'm low status, then I'm high status, then I'm low status. Uh, you know, first I'm telling someone something like, ha you're wrong. I'm telling you the truth. And then I say something and they're like, oh, you're an idiot. I'm like, oh, sorry, I was annoying, yeah. you know. And so that cuts it, you know, and that that keeps it from it being too didactic, you know, where it, whereas if I was high status over them the whole time, it would be like it, then it would feel like mansplaining or like, you know, like. And then you also on. go into the mode where you bring an expert on. Yes. 
and learn from them. So mm-hmm. you're kind of switching between the, yep. I know something, but then I also am just yep. here to learn along. And you're kind of a proxy for the audience. Yep. In that and we have episodes where Adam is the one who doesn't know the thing and is enlightened by someone else. You know, um, So the, the episode we had about Luxottica recently, Adam loves his glasses. So he doesn't know about, he doesn't know that about Luxottica. And instead of Emily, who's my most constant foil right. on the show, tells me the, uh, the fact and breaks my heart, you know? But I think um, even more importantly is that on the show, I'm not actually a know-it-all, right? I'm not a fountain of knowledge, right? I, on the show and in real life, am not a particular expert in any topic. I'm literally just a comedian who listens to podcasts and reads The New Yorker. <laughs> like, that's it. You know, like, I read, I don't even read, you know, like, uh, my, my, my most proud achievement is reading, I read Robert Caro biographies, which uh-huh. are like big, thick books, but come on, they're very readable. Yeah. I, I'm no, I'm no, like, huge history buff, you know what I mean? So, uh, what I do think I bring is a constant uh, curiosity and a constant um, self-undermining of what I think I know. That's sort of something I I learned I was a philosophy major in college, and that's where the process of philosophy is. You always ask, do I really know this? Am I really sure about this? Why do I think I know it? What What is underpinning this, this mm-hmm. belief, right? Um, and so that constant undermining process is, first of all uh, – Native to comedy. That's what comedy. That, that's one of the things that stand-up comedy especially does. Is like, hey, what? Why are we? Why are we doing like this? You know, that's like a fundamental comedic question. You know, uh, why? Why are you? You gotta tell me. You know, <laughs> um, and that's my that's my generic comedian voice. Um, I can and- see why you went into. Script television. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, but it's also um, – that's the fundamental process of the show is that I'm always asking why, 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 and then I'm telling the audience here's what I found, right? Now, the great thing is that uh, we – very likely might be wrong about something that we've done on the show or we might do a topic that we're incorrect about in the future. Um, and uh, when corrected, my default – uh, response is thank you, thank you for telling right. me I was incorrect. You know, or at least have a conversation about it, right? Um, b- but you know, if if we actually found out that we're incorrect about something, what a wonderful thing! Yeah. Because now again, we're finding out that the thing that we thought was true is not true, and we're expanding our our field of knowledge. So uh, you know, I'm not someone who on high, I'm not some pundit who's like, hey, let me tell you how the world really is. I'm engaged in a process of questioning and curiosity with the audience, in which you can, you know, you can never be truly truly wrong. Or it, it's it's always wonderful to find out that you're wrong. I think something I think about a lot too is it's just tone. And if you get it yeah. right and your approach is you know the right, then then you pull it off. And I will say you pull it off consistently. I really <laughs> like your show. So I appreciate oh, you thank coming you. in. Man. Oh my god, thank you so much for having me and for and for such wonderful questions. I love talking about the show. So yeah. so yeah, thank you so much for watching. Of course. You can catch Adam Ruins Everything Tuesday nights on True TV or, as I do, online, adamruinseverything.com. What's the Point's editor is Chadwick Matlin. Jorge Estrada and Tony Chow are in the control room. Our music is by Rishikesh Hirway, host of the Song Exploder podcast. There's a link to download the song he wrote on our website. My name is Jody Avergan. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook or email me podcasts at 538.com with any ideas or comments about the show. Check out our other podcasts, the politics podcast and our sports podcast, Hot Takedown. Find it all at 538.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Listener.